All right, so I've been, you know, praying over the last couple months. Okay, Lord, for the first Sunday of 2019, what do you want me to bring? And what, the first Sunday kind of has a really special and unique spot in the calendar, wouldn't you say? I mean, so it's, it's kind of our chance to set, set the tone for, for the year. And so I was praying, God, what, what would you lay on my heart to bring on this first Sunday of a brand new year? And he laid on my heart a title, and that was all I had was a title uh, about probably about four or five weeks ago. And so I've been pondering this title for several weeks, and uh, sort of the, the parts and pieces started to come together. And so let me sort of set the table for this this way. All right, imagine that uh, you have a friend and you've been trying to establish contact with them. You've been calling them or emailing, text messaging, whatever it is that you do. And you've made several attempts and you've heard nothing back, not a peep. All right, so after a while, it's easy to start to think that maybe your friend is trying to avoid communicating with you. Some of you know what that feels like. I'm like, hmm, are they avoiding me? Now, here's the thing. That may or may not be true. They may try be trying to avoid you. They may not be trying to avoid you. But here's the thing. You don't know. You have no way of knowing if they truly are trying to avoid you. But left unchecked over time, you will start to act as if that's a truth. You will start to act as if they actually are trying to avoid you, even though you don't know that to be a true fact. Now, why does that happen? That happens because once we make uh, an opinion about something or we adopt a point of view, then we start uh, gathering information that supports our point of view and sort of disregard any information that would contradict our point of view. That's actually called confirmation bias. Some of you may have heard that term before. Confirmation bias means that as, as we start to gather new information, we filter it through our preconceived ideas. And the ones that match what we want to think we, we look for those and we gather those up and we dismiss out of hand the ones that don't agree with our prejudgments. We've already sort of made a mental decision about what the truth of something is and so we start to sort out information that lines up with how we've already decided to think about it. Now, this is a fairly common human condition. So as I talk about this, I'm not, not criticizing anybody. This is sort of the norm for us. But in light of that, it's really critical as we get ready to launch into a brand new year that we are, are looking for the right things and in the right way. So I want to share with you two perspectives this morning that I think are going to shape our year and uh, so it's two ways of looking at the world around us, and it's two ways of looking at the people that we live with. It's two ways of, of looking at our church and the events that happen in our church. 
And I believe that every one of us here this morning, we're gonna carry one of these two perspectives into the year ahead of us, into 2019. And whichever one we embrace will make all of the difference. And so the question that you see on your screen and the question that I have for you, and this is the title that God gave me several weeks ago, is as we begin a brand new year, will you see what the Pharisees see? Or will you see what the fairest sees? Now you may kind of, the first part of that may make sense to you. The second part of that may not make any sense to you whatsoever. Well, as I was growing up, we used to sing lots of hymns and there was an old hymn that said, fairest Lord Jesus, ruler of all nature, O thou of God and man, the son. Fairest, Lord Jesus. Well, that old hymn, that phrase from that hymn was based on a passage of scripture from Psalm chapter 45, verse two, and it says this. You are fairer than the sons of men. Grace is poured upon your lips. Therefore, God has blessed you forever. Now, the living Bible phrases that first part of the verse, says you are the fairest of all. Now, the writer of Hebrews, in Hebrews chapter 1, he makes reference to this, and he, he acknowledges it that there is some reference here to Solomon in this psalm, chapter 45, verse 2. But more than that, it is a prophetic look at Jesus. This verse, Psalm 45, 2, the fairest of all is a prophetic message about the coming Savior, Jesus Christ. And so the two perspectives that we're going to look at this morning, the two that will influence our year, the two that will shape how we see what happens and what goes on, is whether we're seeing with the eyes of a Pharisee or if we're seeing with the eyes of Jesus. Now, what we know about the Pharisees in Scripture is basically their antagonism to Jesus and his teaching and his methodologies. I mean, they were constantly clashing with Jesus. Now, on the other hand, some of Jesus' hardest teachings, some of his most critical words were aimed at the Pharisees. Now, that's a strange thing when you think about it, because the Pharisees were the predominant religious group on the scene when Jesus was here. And the Pharisees were totally about the law of God, the Torah. In case you don't know what the Torah is, it's the first five books of the Old Testament. Genesis, Exodus, Viticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. It was the law of Moses. The law of God is delivered to his people. And the Pharisees were all about the law of God. Now, you would think that would be a good thing, right? I mean, how can you go wrong focusing on the law of God? But apparently, Jesus wasn't all that pleased with the Pharisees. And so what that would suggest to me is that as we get ready to enter a brand new year, we cannot rely solely on our religiosity. We cannot rely solely on our religiousness as our guide for the coming year. 
So I want us to double check ourselves this morning and see which of these perspectives we are carrying forward and make sure that we're landing in the right place. Now, as a starting point, I want to share a graphic on the screen this morning. Um, this is based on research done by George Barna. He is a Christian research uh, person. And uh, uh, the, what they wanted to find out is, you know, how do Christians uh, actually live out their faith? Are they acting more like Jesus or are they acting more like Pharisees? So they presented, they created a survey of about 20 questions that they presented to uh, believers. Now, they knew what the questions indicated, but the people taking the survey did not. As they created the survey, here's what they did. They, based, they created 10 questions that re, um, sort of emphasized the life and the teaching and the attitude of Jesus, and 10 questions that related to the attitudes and the actions of Pharisees. Now, they weren't identified that way, but that's how they were created. And the people who took the survey were supposed to rate themselves on a scale of one to 10, how much they agree with these different statements. And here are the stunning results. Out of everybody that took this survey, what you see is over half, 51% of confessing and professing Christians actually through their own uh, declaration through this survey not only live like a Pharisee, they have attitudes of a Pharisee. Their actions and their attitudes both represent that of a Pharisee. Over half of all Christians. And so I know most of you, we hear the idea of thinking like a Pharisee, or which point of view, you go like, well, that's not me, I'm in church. Over half of all people in church wind up in the Pharisee camp. In the top right-hand corner, only 14% of those taking the survey actually not only live like Jesus, but think like Jesus. Is that a little sobering to you this morning? It certainly is to me. I think that should be a little shocking and a little, a little frightening to you this morning. Because this is how the world is perceiving Christianity and Christians, all right? So let's take a look this morning at some of the attitudes and the actions of Pharisees from Scripture. So open up your Bible to Gospel of Matthew chapter 23. Matthew chapter 23. Now, I'm gonna do something this morning that I don't, uh, I don't particularly like to do. I like to read uh, Scripture I like to, to kind of discuss it with you. I like to sort of uh, pull back the curtains and, and, and comment on it. But I have a lot, a lot of Scripture to go through this morning. And in the interest of being fair to the Word of God, because I don't want to leave any of it out, but also in the interest of time, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to move around much this morning. I'm going to stick fairly close to, to my notes because I want to make sure that I cover all of the passages that God has laid on my heart to, to discuss this. We're going to bounce around to a lot of different places. Most of them are going to come from the gospel of Matthew 23. That's why I've asked you to go there. But every passage of scripture we're going to talk about this morning, I'm going to put on the screen for you. We're going to cover a lot of ground, but, but if you will show up next Sunday morning, you're gonna have a chance to sort of dive into these and peel the onion back, so to speak, on these a little more in depth in your Sunday sync groups, all right? 
So before we start reading, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, as we begin this morning, as we open up your word and, and we begin a brand new year, God, I pray you'll speak to us. God, you, you've presented us a gift of a brand new year, which is full of opportunity, full of potential. And Lord, more than anything else, we want to maximize it for your honor and your glory. So God, help us to lay our own agendas down this morning. Help us to forget all the things that are going on uh, beyond this service today or what's going to happen in the rest of this week. But Lord, help, let us hear clearly from you this morning. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, amen. amen. All right. So we're going to look at several different actions, attitudes of Pharisees and some corresponding scripture. All right, so we're going to start with the idea of being a separatist. Now, what does that mean? Well, you, you may or may not realize that the actual word Pharisee, the word itself, means separated. The word Pharisee is a separated one. In other words, a person who, who is thinking like a Pharisee sees themselves separated from everybody else, a little too good for everybody else, a little too good to stoop to someone else's level. That is part and parcel of what it means to be a Pharisee. So I'm going to put this one on the screen for you. Luke chapter 18, verses 10 through 11. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. And the Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself. He said, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this tax collector. Most of you are familiar with that passage of Scripture. And this personifies the separatist mindset of a Pharisee. God, I thank you that I am not like all those other people. Church, as we begin 2019, let me just lay something on the table for you here. When, you're, when your thinking starts to become them versus us or them versus me, then you are trending in the direction of thinking and acting like a Pharisee. All right, we're going to move on because I got a lot of ground to cover. Judgmental. It's another one of the characteristics of pharisaical living and thinking. Now, raise your hand. How many of you here this morning know someone that you consider to be judgmental? Raise your hand. Now, this is full participation. If you know somebody, raise your hand. Leave it up. Everybody look around. All right, that's almost everybody. I'm surprised that some of you don't know somebody that you think is judgmental. Wow, you've got a great group of friends. All right. Now, all of you who raised your hand, that you know somebody that you think is judgmental, how many of you want to spend as much time as you possibly can with that judgmental person? That's your favorite person to hang out with. Like nobody, right? Nobody wants to hang out with a judgmental person. And yet, that is what 51% of Christians self-identify themselves as, as being 
judgmental. Nobody wants to hang out with them people. And church, that presents a problem when we're trying to win people to Christ. John chapter 8, verse 4 to 5. You, you know this story. You're familiar with it. They caught this woman in adultery, and they said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. Now Moses, in the law, the Torah, which they were so big on, commanded us that such should be stoned. And they weren't talking about medicinal marijuana. They were talking about, we're going to rock her world. We're going we're to kill her. What do you say? They wanted the full extent of the punishment of the law executed on this woman. Meanwhile, where's the guy? Right? Where's the guy? If she's caught in the act, it takes two to tango, right? They wanted justice. They wanted judgment, but it wasn't even handed justice and judgment. Don't you hate that? Don't, why is the, the picture or the statue of justice supposed to be way, wearing a blindfold and holding the scales? Because justice is supposed to be what? Blind. It's supposed to be even. We don't favor one or the other, but clearly they're favoring somebody. They want judgment, but only for those people because probably the other person, the man involved in this was probably one of their friends. When you, when you want the full extent of the law pressed against someone else, but you're willing to carve out large amounts of mercy for your own actions and attitudes then you might be trending in the direction of thinking and living like a Pharisee. The next one is hypocritical. I, I can't think of too many labels that feel worse to be tagged with than being labeled as a hypocrite. I just hate that label. I think nobody wants to be labeled as a hypocrite unless you're a politician, and then they wear it like a badge of honor. It's like, just rolls like water off the back of a duck, man. I don't care. You can call me whatever you want to. I mean, we'll, we'll say this one day, and we'll say the other thing the next day. I, truthfully, I think almost all politicians probably come from Pharisee blood. Because one of the greatest problems and criticisms that Jesus had of the Pharisees was that they were hypocrites. Matthew 23, 3. All right, so there's going to be a lot of scriptures here from Matthew 23. Matthew 23, 3. Here's what, here's what Jesus says. Therefore, whatever he's talking about, he's talking about Pharisees. Whatever they tell you to observe, that observe and do. But do not do according to their works, for they say and do not do. They say the right things, but then they don't do them at all. Now, here's what I love about Jesus. They said the right thing. So he said, hey, what they're saying is right. So you should do that. But don't live like them. They're teaching the right thing, living a wrong one. Church, I'm going to tell you, I think this is one of the biggest single challenges for growing our children up in a vibrant and vital faith is when mom and dad 
proclaim that I love Jesus and I love this book and I put my faith in him and he matters to me. And you say that as, you know, as long as the day is long on Sunday, but the Monday through Saturday, it doesn't look like this at all. That makes it really hard to raise little Johnny and little Susie to love the Lord like we want them to. I don't know any parent that doesn't want their, their children to grow up and love the Lord. Of course we want that. But if we want that, then we got to quit living like hypocrites on Monday through Saturday. And, and I'm, you know, there's a, pl- a spot in here for grandparents too. We live in a culture now that grandparents are much more involved in the raising of children than they used to be. And this doesn't just apply to mom and dad. This applies to grandma and grandpa too. Because if, if little Johnny and Susie come to your house and you're having major influence in their life and you say you love Jesus on Sunday but then you run everybody down and you gripe and complain all day long on Monday through Saturday, what they're saying is that what you say about this doesn't match how you live and they'll start to dismiss it altogether. As a church, as a body, folks, we gotta stop living like hypocrites and stop, start living like Jesus. He said in Matthew chapter 23, at the bottom of the chapter, verse 27 and 28, he said, woe to you scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, for you're like whitewashed tombs, which indeed appear beautiful outwardly, but instead inside you're full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. Even so, you also outwardly appear righteous to men, but inside you are full of hypocrisy and, and catch this last word lawlessness inside you're full of lawlessness you know what he's saying he said inside you you look right outside but inside you are absolutely no different not a whit different than all the people that you're railing against because the people that they're separated from those people are full of lawlessness aren't they i mean that's why the pharisees can't hang out with them they're full of lawlessness And then he says, you know what you're full of? You're full of lawlessness. Why? Because you live like a hypocrite. And when you do, you are no different than all the people that you think you are pretending to be better than. Wow, how ironic is that? All right, let's move on. Pretense. Pretense. Fake. One of the the prevailing attitudes and actions of Pharisees is they're fake. Now, I don't know if this has ever happened to any of the rest of you. It's happened to me, and it really, it really bugs me. You ever seen fake fruit or fake food that looked so real, and, and it was sitting out like you're supposed to enjoy it? And then you walk over there, you think, man, I'm going to have you know, some nice grapes, or I'm going to have a, a plum or an apple, I'm gonna banana. I'm going to have something. And you go over there, and you pick it up, and it's fake. Oh, man, that is just so wrong. It's so wrong. Not, you know, I, there was a, an evangelist that used to come to our, our church when I was growing up, and uh, he, he hated to fool his stomach. He thought that was a sin against his body. And uh, so because of that, he would never use a toothpick because he said, if I start chewing, my, my stomach thinks something's coming, and I don't want to fool it like that. 
So by accident, one time he said, I started chewing on a toothpick and I felt so much guilt that I just chewed the thing up and I swallowed it because I didn't want to tell, teach my stomach something wrong. <laughs> and I feel that way about fake food and fake fruit, man. I get them, the juices start to start, sort of start going and I get over there, man, give me some of that. You get there, you can't even chew it. You can't eat it. It's just wrong. Fake is so bad. But that's exactly what Pharisees are. They're fake. There's nothing real about them. Matthew 23, 5, Jesus said, all their works they do to be seen by men. They make their phylacteries broad and enlarge the borders of their garments. Now, in case you don't know what phylacteries are, it's a, like a little headband. It's a little box, literally a box sitting on the front of the headband right up against the forehead. And they had like these little note cards that they stuck in the phylactery. And that was supposed to be keeping the word of God up against. It was so close to their mind. The word of God was right there. Liar. It was fake. It was all fake. In verse 25, 20 verses later, he says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, for you cleanse the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside they are full of extortion and self-indulgence. See, when it becomes more important to you what other people think about you, and how they perceive you than what God thinks about you and how God perceives you, then you are trending in thinking and acting like a Pharisee. Let's move on. Another one of the hallmarks of Pharisees is that they're proud. Now, when we talk about pride here, we're not talking about pride in a job well done, pride in your work, doing a job to the best of your ability. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about arrogance and pride in your title. Look at me. Look at what I've become. Look at who I am. And this was a problem for them. Matthew 23, verses 6 and 7 now. Jesus said, they love the best places at feast, the best seats in the synagogues, greetings in the marketplace, and to be called by men. Hey, rabbi, rabbi. They loved it. They ate it up. Look at who I am. Look how awesome I have become. Look at the role that I now have. Be in all of me. Now, we might not walk around like that quite that arrogantly, but a lot of you know exactly what I'm talking You have felt that moment in your life. It is a trick of the devil to start getting you amped up about who you think you are versus who you humbly are before God. And we know that the Bible says to be very, very careful about this issue of pride because a haughty spirit, a proud spirit goes before what? A fall. You, you want to crash and burn? You live out this life of pride. It is the central sin in all of humanity is pride. And you know what the middle letter of pride is, right? It's the letter I. I. I, I, I. Proud. They were proud. 
The next one I want to let you know about, one of the challenges of the Pharisees is that they majored on the minor. Now, just at a personal level, I think this one frustrates me more than anything, just personally. I'm a big picture guy, and that, that doesn't mean anything that, you know, you shouldn't focus on details. We need to connect the dots and, and dot the I's and cross the T's. Those things need to be done. But Pharisees forget about the big picture. Pharisees forget about what it is that we're trying to accomplish on the grand scheme of things, and all they can see are the details. And what is the old term, what's in the details? Who's in the details? The devil. The devil is in the details. Why? Because we begin to major on the minor. When we begin to major on the minor, we forget that God is the big God. He's the big reason we do everything that we do. And we start focusing on things that have no real uh, meaning and no intent. Matthew 23, verses 23 and 24. He said, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites. He loved that word in talking to them. You pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin, but you've neglected the weightier matters of the law. Justice and mercy and faith. You ought to have done the first ones, but without leaving the others undone. So you know what? Paying your tithe, that's one of those right things. Saying the right thing. They're doing the right thing and giving the tithe. So he committed them. You should have done that. But compared to the grand scheme of things, you are majoring on the minor because you have ignored altogether law and mercy and faith. Blind guides who strain out a gnat and swallow a camel. Majoring on the minor. Now, church, we've talked about Pharisees being separatist, being judgmental, hypocritical, pretentious, fake, proud, and majoring on the minor. Now, this is how way too many people and way too many people that Jesus still wants to save. It's how way too many people see Christianity. And by default, it's how they see us. It's how they see Orchardville Church. Why? Because if 51% of people, of Christians identify themselves through a survey of living out or acting out pharisaical actions and attitudes, and that is the reality, that's the experience that most non-Christians are having with quote-unquote Christians, and so by default, they extend that same perception to you as an individual and to us as a church. And the problem with that is what the bottom line of all of that means. Here's what the bottom line of that means, is that it makes it harder to come to Christ. Matthew 23, again, verse 13, 
Jesus says, but woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, for you shut up the kingdom of heaven against men. Is that a frightening statement or what? You shut up the kingdom of heaven against men, for you neither go in yourselves, nor do you allow those who are entering to go in. Look at verse 15. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you travel land and sea to win one proselyte, and when he is one, you make him twice as much a son of hell as yourselves. The religious people who were focused on the law of God drove everything about who they were supposed to be and what they were supposed to do. Law of God, law of God, law of God. And yet here Jesus says, you will go out of your way to win one proselyte. And when you do, you've made them twice as much a child of hell as they were before. You know why, church? Because your religiosity, your religiousness, and religion does not save. There's no salvation in your religiosity. And when we attack people with the mindset and the attitudes and the actions of a Pharisee, and we start to see the world like a Pharisee sees the world, then what we wind up doing is we separate ourselves out from the rest of the world that Jesus died to save, and we make it twice as hard for them to get saved because all they see is rules and religion, and they don't see Jesus. So that's one perspective. The other perspective is whether or not we're going to see like Jesus. I'm going to go back through this same list, and I'm going to go through it fairly quickly because I want, to, I want to make sure that we see the difference between the two. All right, so we know that the very word Pharisee means to be separated, be a separatist. That is in direct contradiction to the very fact that Jesus, one of his names was Emmanuel, which means God What? with us, not separated from us, God with us. John, or Matthew one twenty three. behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated, God with us. John 17, 8, this won't be on the screen, but you might want to write it down. Jesus, in his, in his pastoral prayer, he said, he was praying to the Father, he said, as you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. Into the world. Not separated from it. Into the world. You can't influence what, where you're not. You can't be an influence when you're not there in the middle of something. If salt stays in the shaker, it can't change the flavor of the food at all, can it? God said, Father, you sent me into the world, and I'm sending my folks into the world. I'm sending my disciples, my apostles into the world. Why? So they can get saved because Emmanuel means with us. Not separated, with us. Pharisees tend to be incredibly judgmental, whereas Jesus 
is very grace-giving. In that same passage in John where we read where the Pharisees were ready to stone the woman caught in adultery, here was Jesus' response in verse 7 of chapter 8. So when they continued asking him, he raised himself up and said to them, he who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first. Hey, if, if, if you've got no skeletons in your closet, if you've never done anything wrong, you've got no sin whatsoever, you go ahead and throw the first one. Because Jesus wasn't about judging. He was about showing what grace means. Because without grace, we all stand before the Lord condemned. Do you understand that? We're all condemned, just like the woman caught in adultery. We deserve judgment. We receive mercy because God is a grace giver. Pharisees are hypocrites. Jesus is more concerned about genuine faith. Genuine faith. Matthew chapter 9, verses 12 through 13. When Jesus heard that, he said to them, those who are well, have got no need of a physician. Those who are sick. But go and learn what this means, that I desire mercy and not sacrifice. I didn't come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. He said, you know what? I'm not looking for a bunch of hypocrites who act like they've got it all together. That's, that's not why I'm here. I'm, I'm not looking to heal the people who think they have nothing to be healed from. That's hypocritical. I'm here for, to express and show genuine faith. I want people who are saying, Lord, I need you. Father, I need your mercy. I need your salvation. That's the genuine faith that I'm looking for. And only if you are willing to express your need for a Savior and your sinfulness beforehand, can you know what genuine faith really is? And then we know that the Pharisees, they were fake. They were full of pretense. Jesus operates in a world of truth. John chapter 4, verse 23 and 24 Jesus said, the hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. You know, one of, one of, my, one of my heart's desires for Orchardville Church as we enter into and experience 2019 is that we will know genuine worship at a level we have never known here. The song that we sang earlier with arms high and heart, what was the next word? Heart abandoned. Heart abandoned. You know, you know what that really means? A heart abandoned means that you're not looking at yourself and looking, how good, do I, how good I am? God, you're lucky that you got me. God, you're lucky that I'm in church. God, you're lucky that I'm a, I'm a Christian because of all that I can do. You got a good one when you got me. 
No arms high and heart abandoned is standing down here and go, God, without you, I am worthless. Without you, God, I am nothing. Without you, God, I am, I am destined for eternity, separated from you. God, without you, I have nothing and I am no one. Lord, because of you, I have everything I have and I am everything that I am because of you. That is worshiping God in spirit and in truth. Because when we worship him, knowing that without God we're nothing, then our worship rises to a whole new level. God's about truth. We know that the Pharisees struggled with pride versus Jesus stressing being humble. Back in Matthew chapter 23, verses 11 and 12, Jesus said this, but he who is greatest among you, he shall be your servant. And whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and who humbles himself will be exalted. You know, you, you want to you wanna be proud and all arrogant about, look how great I am, look how awesome I am. Sooner or later, there's going to be a humbling moment that comes your way. And it's going to be hard. Versus living humbly before the Lord in your faith and before the rest of the world, not acting like we're better than everybody else. And Jesus said, in the right time, I'll exalt you. I'll raise you up. 1 Peter 5, 5 is not on your screen, but you might want to write this one down too. Peter said, God resists the proud, but he gives grace to who? To the humble. Majoring on the minor drives me crazy. Might drive you crazy too. I don't think Jesus was a fan either. He thinks we ought to major on the major. Matthew chapter 7, verses 3 through 5, he said, Why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but you don't consider the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, Let me remove the speck from your eye? And look, a plank is in your own eye. Now, just in case you're missing what he's saying here, it's exactly like what he's saying here. Speck versus a plank, a big old two by four sticking all the way out there. Like, dude, you think you can see a speck in somebody else's eye and you can't see this two by four sticking out of your eyeball right in front of you? You can't see that? He says, hypocrite, first remove the plank from your own eye, then you will see, clear, see clearly remove the speck from your brother's eye. You know what he's saying? Major on the major. You've got your own issues to deal with to live right and properly and humbly before me. Deal with those. Stop trying to fix everybody else. That's not your job. That's my job, God said. You deal with you. I'll deal with everybody else. Thank you. Amen. Man, see, Christianity and churches, we've gotten so busy trying to fix everybody else that we don't even deal with our own mess. I said, you need to major on the major. 
let the minor stuff go. And if we do, then instead of making it harder to come to Christ, then what we do is we start to open doors that make it easier for people to come to Christ. Revelation twenty two seventeen. And the Spirit and the bride say, Come. And let him that heareth say, Come. And let him that is a thirst come. And whosoever will, let him take the water of life freely. Come. Whosoever will may come. Whosoever will may come. Second Peter 3.9 is not on your screen, but Peter says, The Lord's not slack concerning His promise, as some count slackness, but He is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. See, Jesus wants everybody to receive the invitation of salvation. But it is incumbent on us to live in such a way that we're not closing the door to winning people to Christ, but that we're living in such a way that the door opens wider and wider, that people look at our lives and they don't see a bunch of judgmental, fake hypocrites who major on small things while big things in their own life are clearly out of whack. But instead, what they see are people who are full of grace and mercy and love and a heart of compassion and are dealing with their own stuff authentically and honestly and openly, and they're living humbly before the Lord. And when we do that, then people start to see what Jesus is offering because they see Jesus in his people. Lord willing, as we begin a brand new season of Sunday sink in the life of this church. And we start seeing more and more people here early and people so we start seeing more and more new faces. We have an obligation as people who call ourselves Christians to be presenting Christ in the way that he should be presented as a mercy loving, grace giving, salvation offering God. We may see some people in here that don't look like they belong in church. I hope we do. I hope we start seeing this place filled up with people that look like they've never seen the inside of a church before in their life. Because that's who Jesus died for. And we must say no to the mindset and the perspective of a Pharisee and say yes to the mindset and the perspective of Jesus. You know why? Because we will see what we are looking for. Philippians 2, verses 3 through 5. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interest, but also for the interest of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. As we have a whole year 
ahead of us. What are you going to see? Are you going to see what a, a Pharisee sees? Or are you going to see what Jesus sees? That will make all the difference in the world about how you manage the year ahead of you. See, if you allow yourself to get full of yourself, if you allow yourself to start thinking how good you are as a Christian, you will start to see as a Pharisee sees. You'll start to see the flaws in the people that are here in this church. You'll start to see the flaws in the people that that you live around. You'll start to see the flaws in the people in your family. Because that's what you're looking for. Because it makes you feel better about you. But if you'll see with the eyes of Jesus, you'll see that you are no better than anyone else. And that except for the grace of God, there go I. And that if God hadn't showed mercy and compassion and grace to you, you would have a destiny apart from him forever in hell. And as you start to see as Jesus sees with grace and mercy, you start to become the compassionate person that Jesus was. And you start to draw people to the cross. I'm going to ask us to stand. Father, it's the first Sunday of a brand new year, and we can choose right now. God, we can choose. How do we want to live out this year? How do we want to perceive this year? How do we want to see it? God, I pray that by actions this morning, that this entire church will decide they want to see as Jesus sees. If you're here this morning and maybe you've been living as a Pharisee and you've been counting on your religion to save you, maybe you realize this morning that's not going to do it. And you need Jesus in your life for salvation. Come pray. Maybe you've been trying your best to live as Jesus, but you know you can do better. Come pray. Maybe you're in that 51% you know you're not even close come pray father as we open the altars this morning i pray that we'll respond as the holy spirit leads in jesus name amen